Um, th this whole summer, our teaching series has been called Christianity 101, and for the sake of redundancy, maybe for those who are new, uh, this is really serving two purposes. We're trying to cover some very incredibly foundational, basic, important elements to the Christian faith. Number one, this is for people that are brand new to church, brand new to the Bible, brand new to Christianity, just to get a good understanding of what Christianity is all about. And then number two, I really think, and I've heard multiple times, uh, this is an incredibly encouraging thing by way of reminder uh, for many of us who've been walking with Jesus for decades, uh, just to consistently be reminded of some foundational things. Uh, and today is, uh, it, it's it, it's, I don't think it gets much more foundational or much more uh, 101-ish than the topic that we are covering today, which is just simply the topic of God's Word. Okay, uh, everything that we teach and preach comes from this book. This is uh, the, the foundation and the source of, of what we believe, what we preach, what we know true uh, to be true about uh, God. This is authoritative, and so we're going to take some time uh, this morning to talk about what is, in fact, uh, this claim that this book we have is God's word, uh, and what do we do with it? Does that sound good? Does that sound good? All right. Uh, there are just like, there's so many places um, that we could go uh, in the Bible to talk about the Bible. You could probably pick any page, um, but I'm going to start here in Hebrews chapter one, uh, and that's really what we're going to kind of uh, piece apart and look at. And this might be a little bit different of a sermon, uh, and I hope that it's helpful, again, to both sides. And so many of you, maybe you're just, you're skeptical, maybe you're curious, but you're here. I hope this answers a question for you. Uh, some of you, maybe you are deconstructing and you're asking some deep questions about, is the Bible even true? That's a pretty big claim for a book to be uh, claimed that it is written by God. Is that a true statement? Uh, and maybe you have loved and believed this for a long time, and I pray that it would edify your faith as well. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, the writer of Hebrews says this to New Testament Christians uh, very much like us. He says, long ago, centuries, millennia even, long ago at many times, not just once, many, many times, and in many ways, a lot of different ways, God spoke God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. How did he do it? He spoke through prophets, and we have it written down. Uh, he's referring right there basically to the Old Testament, that he's making the claim that the Old Testament is God himself speaking through prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whose name is Jesus whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. That's Genesis 1, that's John 1, that through Jesus, Jesus is the way, he's the word of God that created uh, all things that we know. He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. We, this book that you either hold in your hands or on your device, we call it the Bible. What it is, is it is the very words of God. This is what Hebrews 1.1 is saying. Um, that In the Old Testament, what we have through the prophets in the Old Testament is God speaking. And what we have in the New Testament is the revelation from and about Jesus Christ. Um, that's what he's saying. What we call the Bible is God's word. This, this is saying that God spoke it. It's not just some, some prophets or some philosophers coming up with some ideas that they think might be accurate and helpful. The, the book claims that this is the word of God. 
And, and I know maybe if you're skeptical that that's a really, uh, that's a really powerful claim to make. And so I want to walk through, like if, if that is true, if it's as long ago, many times, in many ways, God spoke, how would we know and be able to verify if it was in fact God speaking? That's an important question, right? I think that's always an important question, but especially in this unique time in our culture where so many people are asking so many important questions, foundational questions, uh, it's important to know that you can trust God's word through this book uh, because everything that we stand on and believe comes from this book. So how do you know this is God speaking? Uh, Why should we believe that this is actually from God? How do we know that it's true? And what makes this different from all the other books that claim to speak on behalf of God? It's a really important question for us to ask. Uh, I want to walk through a few things, um, just kind of thinking through, uh, like that, that word, God spoke, what is it that verifies that, and how do we know that that is true? Number one, the Bible itself obviously claims to be God's words, okay? Now, for some of you, that's not super convincing because that's an internal argument uh, instead of an external argument, right? But it, 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 it does make the claim, and virtually no other books make the claim, uh, not, not the Quran, not, uh, not uh, some of the, the Hindu writings. They don't make the claim that they are actually the words of God, but the Bible does a lot, okay? The Old Testament 3,800 references to it being God's word or, quote, thus saith the Lord. So the Bible itself makes the claim over and over and over, both Old Testament and New Testament, that it's not just somebody's ideas, it is God's word. 3,800 times in the Old Testament, 2 Peter uh, in the New Testament, chapter 1, verses 19 through 21 says this, uh, he's talking about the, the Bible being God's word. He says this, we have the prophetic word, more fully confirmed, to which you will do well, and I would apply this to you as well. You would do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Old and New Testament both declare that this book is God's Word. Now, I understand that for some of you, that's an internal, not super convincing, kind of a circular argument. Uh, If I were to come in the room and say, hey, I got good news, I am the smartest person in the room. Many of you would laugh, right? You're like, well, you think so, but I think I'm the smartest person. This person thinks they're the smartest. This person thinks they're the smartest. And then you read the set that 90% of people think that they're above average. And you're like, I don't know. A lot of us are just, you know, wrong. It's like, like if I say something about myself or if the Bible makes a claim about itself, like how do you know that it's true? That's an internal claim. Now, if, if, if we take a poll and 99% of the people in this room say that I'm the smartest person in the room, which would probably not happen, and I were to take some tests and all my IQ and maybe even EQ and external tests would put me at the very top, that's a whole different thing if there's external proofs that I, in fact, am the smartest person in the room. There is a difference, and I want to explain both. Okay, internally, the Bible makes the claim that it is God's word externally, I would say there is an unbelievable amount 
of evidence to prove that that is, in fact, the case. Some external proof that God spoke. God spoke. Number one, if what you hold in your hands and what has made the claim that it is God's word, if, in fact, it is God's word, you could expect a few things, and these things are true. Number one, God's word is prophetic, okay? Everybody say prophetic, Meaning that if God stands outside of time and he knows the future and he can write things down and predict them before that they happen. Uh, 2,500 different prophecies in the Bible. You cannot find another book in the world that makes the claim that it is God's word and it predicts the future and gets it right every time. Okay, 2,500 prophecies, some big, some small, 2,000 of those have already been fulfilled, Uh, 500 are promised and futuristic and yet to be fulfilled, 333 uh, of those prophecies are pointed straight at the man named Jesus that are not vague, they're very clear, and they were all fulfilled. Uh, The Old Testament predicts certain uh, captivities and the fall of Babylon and the rise and the fall of countries very precisely, all of those happened exactly exactly as God uh, predicted and prophesied. Um, I'm going to run through a couple of these, and these are just a handful of just the very specific ones about Jesus, okay? there's, There's literally thousands of prophecies in the Bible, but it was prophesied that Jesus would be born of a virgin, done. He would come from a very stinky small town called Bethlehem, uh, that he would be from the tribe of Judah. Those are all prophesied hundreds of years before it came to place, and yet it did. Uh, Daniel chapter 9 predicts the exact year that Jesus would begin his ministry, fulfilled exactly. Zechariah says that Jesus will be betrayed for precisely 30 pieces of silver. Historically, you can find that's exactly what happened. Jesus himself, through the Bible, predicts Peter's denial. Psalm, the the book of Psalms that was written a thousand years before Jesus, a, a few hundred years before crucifixion was ever even invented. Nobody knew what it was. Psalms predicted that Jesus would die, the Messiah would die, and his hands and his feet would be pierced, and there would be people at the base that would cast lots for his clothes. A very, very ridiculously um, precise in the predictions of Jesus' death on the cross that didn't even exist at the time. Uh, his death and his resurrection, both Old, New Te- Old Testament and uh, the Gospels, predict that Jesus would die, he would be dead for three days, he would rise again. Uh, the, the Bible predicts and prophesies about the success of the church, that even what you're experiencing right now and what you see on planet Earth, the church of Jesus has done exactly what God said it would do. Uh, the destruction of the Jewish temple, no one could have dreamed when Jesus was making that prediction um, that that would actually happen, and then a couple decades later, just as Jesus said, uh, the stones were all uh, turned. You could not find one on top of the other. The entire city was destroyed. Uh, There is no other book that even comes close to the Bible as far as being a book of prophecy and accurate predictions, okay? If God writes a book and he stands outside of time, it's going to be prophetic. The one that you look at and you hold in your hands is prophetic. Number two, God's word is unified, okay? Everybody say unified, this is unbelievable to me. You're going to see, I'm just like, I'm excited about this because uh, it's just, it just, it should build your faith when you look at God's word to know that we can hear and know when God speaks. 
Okay, the, the, like the God's word, it's, it's unified. He's consistent, and he's consistent through different people, through different languages, through different countries, and through a huge span of time. The Bible stands alone in this regard especially. Um, the, the Quran, okay, was written by one author uh, over a span of 23 years of Muhammad's life. Uh, and from then on, it was not written down meticulously and transferred uh, with scribes uh, written where they tri- triple, quadruple checked everything like the Bible. It was passed on orally. Uh, He never claimed to be necessarily the prophet. He claimed basically to be a philosopher where he's not saying this is a revelation from God. He's saying this is what I think about God. Okay. Uh, There's no legitimate prophecies in the Quran that are fulfilled in a very specific way. Uh, And even during the so-called revelation, Muhammad himself said that he doubted his sanity. It's just a very different thing. Okay. Uh, Buddhism, Uh, uh, Most of the writings were written by uh, one man basically as his uh, philosophy and his trying to answer uh, humanity's biggest questions, not even in the same category as the Bible. Uh, And and Mormonism, Joseph Smith, I'll run through this for just a moment. Uh, He claimed that this is one man produced the Book of Mormon. And he claimed um, that God appeared to him and he gave gave him the the Book of Mormon. It was written in uh, ancient Egyptian hieroglyphics. No other human being saw these. There were no more witnesses. He didn't know how to read that. So God gave him some supernatural spectacles by which he translated this. The spectacles magically disappeared uh, and all of these things things kind of disappeared so that he produced by by one man uh, this work that he claimed to be the words of God. Uh, Lots of prophecies in the Book of Mormon. None of them have been fulfilled. It's been edited and changed almost 4,000 times. It's not in the same category as the Word of God. The Bible, 66 different books, 40 different authors, three different languages, three different continents that span 1,600 years, and there is unbelievable, I would say, supernatural unity because they all agree. They're all telling the same story, have one main theme. Most of these authors never met each other. They come from all different walks of life. Some are very educated, some are uneducated, Uh, some were kings, some were farmers, some were tax collectors, some were shepherds, some were doctors, some were uh, lawyers. They never met each other, and yet God speaks to them and provides this unbelievable supernatural unity. Listen to what Norman Geisler says. He says, this incredible unity amongst such great diversity can best be accounted for by a God who stands outside of time and history and has weaved each of the pieces into one overall mosaic of truth and hope. The Bible's God's word. It's prophetic. The Bible's God's word. It's unified. Number three, the Bible is God's word. It's timeless. Everybody say Timeless which means God is transcendent and he can write something that is applicable to a 21st century businessman on Wall Street and the same exact book is applicable to a first century poor slave woman. It is transcendent. It's timeless. It doesn't have to be edited. it's, It's never been edited. He doesn't have to come out with an update every year. Did y'all know the Encyclopedia Britannica has gone through at least 15 major updates? Like every book that we know of outside of this has to be updated, but not this one because it is timeless. Uh, Floyd McElveen says this. He says, most men can't even agree with their own writings after 10 years. 
Try getting just science textbooks spread over 20 or 30 years together and compare them. And, and there's something just so unbelievable uh, that we uncovered almost a century ago uh, called the Dead Sea Scrolls. Anybody heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? Uh, it's worth a perusal online. Uh, just, it's fascinating. Uh, what happened is in, uh, from 1946 to the early 1950s, uh, this Young Bedouin shepherd was out uh, right on the west side of the Dead Sea. Uh, he was uh, taking care of his sheep, and he throws some rocks into this cave. Here's some clay pots break, and he goes in there and makes one of the, the biggest discoveries in human history, discovers the Dead Sea Scrolls, okay? 15,000 large scrolls or fragments of scrolls that had been basically put, what I believe God put them in a time capsule uh, for us to find. Some of them dated back to the second and third century BC. Nobody had touched them for 2,000 years. And as they unearthed them and looked at them, they had almost the, the whole book of Isaiah in the Dead Sea Scrolls. And guess what? It hasn't been changed. It hasn't been updated. It hasn't been edited. It can translate it straight from the original language in the Dead Sea Scrolls to the copy that you have in your hand. Why? Because God nailed it the first time. God got it right the first time. He doesn't need to update it. The word of God speaks. It is timeless. Number four, God's word is true. Okay, everybody say true. That's really important, right? That's really important. If God's going to write a book, he's going to get it right. He's going to get it true. That means he's going to get it true historically, geographically, philosophically, archaeologically. Archaeology is going to prove, in fact, that the Bible is true. Uh, I'm going to nerd out on this for a minute. I hope that this builds your faith. If not, thank you for the time. Um, there's so many examples where the Bible, people thought, oh, it's just, it's made up, it's, mytho it's mythological, it's not true, it's inaccurate, because it mentions places and people and titles that can't be confirmed elsewise. And over time, archaeology continues to confirm that the Bible is the most accurate book that has ever been produced. Number one, there was a city called Ur. This is Old Testament, where Abraham was from. Most people thought this was a mythical place, and they threw shade on the Bible until, guess what? They unearthed the city. You can see a picture of it. This is 140 miles south of Babylon, kind of modern-day uh, Iraq that they actually unearthed. Like, oh, my gosh, it exists exactly where the Bible said the Bible is true. Ur was unearthed. Uh, number two, King David. A lot of critics thought that the Bible was wrong, and they thought King David was a myth because they couldn't find him in other places, in other uh, accounts, in other uh, writings. Oh, 1994, they were excavating a place called Tel Dan, uh, and they found uh, a, a ninth century BC inscription that said, can y'all read that? No, I couldn't either, but an interpreter could. It like literally says the house of David, okay? Um, number three, Jericho. Everybody say Jericho. What happened to Jericho? The walls came a tumbling down, right? Um, most people thought, oh my gosh, even though it's mentioned, what is it, 64 times, they would categorize Jericho as a Bible problem um, because they couldn't find it, didn't exist. Um, and then in the 1950s, there was a British archaeologist named Kathleen Kenyon. Uh, she was re-excavating this area. And not only did she find the city, but in her writing, she said, mysteriously, mysteriously, it seems as though the walls collapsed on themselves. You can go look at her. I mean, she has uh, an exhaustive resource of her findings archaeologically that, oh, the Bible was very true. Uh, Pontius Pilate, 
Some people thought, oh, this is a myth. The Bible mentions it, but nowhere else. 1961, Antonio Frovo uh, found a dedicatory stone when he unearthed it and cleaned it up. It said, quote, uh, Tiberius, who was the Roman emperor at the time it was written, Pontius Pilate, prefect of Judea, not only confirms that he was a person, confirms the title that the Bible bestows upon him that is more accurate than anything in history. The book of Acts, okay? Luke was a very meticulous medical doctor who wrote the book of Acts being influenced and controlled by the Holy Spirit. Uh, The critics said, well, it's inaccurate, We can't confirm that Acts is true because Luke mentions 32 countries, 54 cities, nine Mediterranean islands, and 95 individual people, most of which are only contained in the Bible. So how can we confirm until over time, archaeology continues to confirm the Bible is true? Sir William Ramsey was a Scottish archaeologist. He did not trust the book of Acts. He thought it was a hoax, and he spent 30 years of his life doing archaeology and studying the area in the Middle East, and I will quote him at the end of his 30 years. He said, I began with a mind very unfavorable to Acts and Luke, but Luke is a historian of the first rank. Not merely are his statements of fact trustworthy, this author should be placed along with the very greatest of historians. Okay, time, and I had about 15 of these just for the sake of time. I had to trim a lot of them out over and over and over and over. History proves the Bible is true. Okay, a couple quick quotes. Time Magazine, okay, this is not a Christian production, okay? Time Magazine said this, in 100 licensed sites in Israel, archaeological digging continues to turn up new evidence that the Bible is often surprisingly accurate. (laughs) I just, oh, oh, you weren't surprised. I wasn't surprised. Time Magazine was surprised. It's surprisingly accurate in historical particulars, more so than earlier generations or scholars ever suspected, quote, recent archaeology has enhanced the credibility of the Bible. I'll quote Time Magazine one more time just for fun. After, this is because like so many people for so many generations have put all of their time and resources into attacking the validity of the Bible as God's word. Time Magazine, after two centuries of just like the critics bombarding the word of God, said this, after more than two centuries of facing the heaviest scientific guns that could be brought to bear, the Bible has survived and is perhaps better for the siege even on the critics' own terms, quote, historical fact, end quote, the, the scriptures seem more acceptable now than they did when the rationalists began the attack. People attack the Bible, and actually it comes out have, have, having proven itself to be more true even than when they started. Uh, Lee Strobel, who so many of you know him, we've got some books actually, uh, one, multiple copies of one book uh, that he wrote in the lobby. Please take them. We need all of those gone today uh, from people who might have some, some questions about just the validity, not just of the Bible, but Jesus himself. Please take those. A little bit about Lee Strobel. Uh, he was a journalist and an atheist, okay? Uh, spent his time thinking about facts, trying to write stories that included facts, was an atheist, and his wife uh, became a Christian. She was an agnostic. Uh, In her life, she became a Christian. And so uh, Lee Strobel went to church to, quote, get his wife out of that cult, okay? He's like, I got to get my wife back. I need to go. And he started a a one-year, nine-month, what is that, 21? 21-month journey to prove 
Christianity and the Bible was wrong so that he could rescue his wife from the cult. And at the end, he said, quote, it takes way more faith to maintain atheism than to believe in Jesus. Uh, there is overwhelming evidence for the Bible, okay? Uh, I want to read a poem um, because I think this sums up a lot of the, just like what has happened when people have attacked the Bible as God's word. Uh, there's a poem I ran across years ago, uh, and I found it again this week. Uh, and it was, it's kind of, the, the, the picture of this poem is a man that walks into a blacksmith shop. And the reason I was reminded of this, because uh, for some reason, all three of my kids like to watch this show, Forged in Fire. Have any of y'all seen this? Uh, it's, it's fascinating. They bring in different knife makers and they give them challenges to, you know, pull the lawnmower blade off a lawnmower and they have a forge in three hours and they have to uh, forge this uh, blade. But like when, when, a, when a person forges something, you know, they heat up this steel and they take it out on a giant anvil and they get a huge hammer. Okay, and then they just, they just beat on and flatten out this steel on this hammer. And over time, you can tell that it really wears even on a really big ball-peen hammer. Here's the, here's the picture before I read the poem. I like the poem, although the poem doesn't rhyme real well, so give the guy a little bit of, little bit of slack on that. He's talking about the anvil being God's word and the hammers being the people that consistently over the generations have come to attack it. He says this, last eve I paused beside the blacksmith's door and I heard the anvil ring the vesper chime. And then looking in, I saw upon the floor old hammers worn with beating years of time. How many anvils have you had, said I, to wear and batter all these hammers so? Just one, he said, and then with twinkling eye, the anvil wears the hammers out, you know. And so I thought the anvil of God's word for ages skeptic blows have beat upon it, yet though the noise of falling blows was heard, the anvil is unharmed and the hammers gone. It is true. Archaeology continues to confirm God wrote the book and he got it right. Okay, let me, let me shift gears. So that's just a little bit of kind of external validity to what the writer of Hebrews says that long ago at many times in various ways, God spoke. Okay, now we're entering into the practical portion of the sermon. What do we do if God spoke? If in fact, and we believe it's true, that God spoke and we have it recorded here in our hands, what do we do? And I just for the sake of, uh, of completion, I have seven things for you. Are you ready? You might write these down. You might remember them because as I told the staff this week, the shortest pencil is longer than the longest memory. Number one, since God spoke, we read it. All right, everybody say read it. Everybody say it again. The average American has four Bibles and reads none of them. Right? It's just like, just read it. Start somewhere. P pick someone. Start a fight club. Get with a, a group of people. Pick a book and begin reading in the book. Maybe begin with John and just read it. Get it. it like if it would be insane of us to know we have a copy of something that God wrote and yet not jump in and not read it. Read it. Matthew 4, verse 4. Jesus says this. He says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
the, the, the mouth of God. God spoke, and Jesus is saying that sustenance to the soul, right? Your body has to have food in order to be healthy. Your soul needs the Word of God to be healthy. We have got to read it, okay? I'm going to challenge you to read it every single day. Get in the fight club, get one or two other people, pick a book, and begin to read through it and ask questions and ingest it together. Uh, Mark Twain, another great theologian, uh, he said, if you don't read, you're no better off than someone who can't read, okay? Read it. We have a copy of it. Let's read it. A couple things about this. Um, let, not, not just do we read it, but when we read it, I, th- I think there's a way in which we need to let it, let it read us. If it's God word, God's word, Hebrews 4 says it's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing even to the intentions of our heart. So we don't just read it. We let the book read us. And also, I think it's important, especially if you're beginning, to read the Bible in context, okay? Uh, That's why reading books all together is so helpful. It's so important because you're going to get it in context, and context really matters, right? If we have a shirt that says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. It's like, well, in context, he was writing that to, like, the Jewish people that were in exile, that context matters, I saw a sign last week, my, my daughter loves uh, baking, and somehow I ran across this sign that said, life is short, lick the bowl, right? If that's next to the, the cookie batter with a bowl and the spatula, like, that's awesome, right? If that's, you go into all soups into a public restroom, and if that's sitting on the toilet bowl, like, life is short, no, context matters, Okay. I'm done. Since God spoke, like, okay, I'm not done. Like, if he writes certain things, like, you're going to heaven. Okay, read it in context. Who's he, if he's talking to Christians, that matters. That matters, okay? Context matters. Number one, if God, since, since God spoke, read it. Number two, since God spoke, we trust it and believe it, Okay? Like, your culture thinks you're an idiot for trusting and believing this book. Who cares? Jesus trusted this book. How many times in Jesus' life did he trust it so much he just quoted it? Thus saith the Lord, or it is written. Jesus trusted it. Jesus believed it. We should too. Trust the book. Believe what it says. Number three, since God spoke, we obey it. James, this is Jesus' little half-brother, he says this, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourself. Okay, it's one thing to read it, but it's another thing to put into practice and to obey what it says. Jesus himself said this, blessed, all right, blessed Rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. When you are reading your Bible and you stumble across something that it says to do, to believe, to obey, to repent of, whatever it might be, don't just believe that to be true, work to obey it. Jesus is like, that's where the blessing is really tucked away. It's not just inside of acknowledging something, but obeying something, okay? This is a book to be obeyed. God wrote it, we obey it. Number four. Since God spoke, we bend to it, okay? I say this every week in our Next Steps class because this is part of our covenant as a church, right? If this book, not even if, when this book 
and my life contradict each other, you're at kind of an impasse, right? Where one of them has to change. Which one should it be? Us, we bend to the book, but our culture's like, no, 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 no. Let's just bend the book. Let's just try to uh, rewrite what it says. Let's just say, well, you know, it's a different culture. It's not applicable now. No, we don't try to bend God's word to us. We bend ourselves to God's word and what we believe, what we value. Like if God's work says, God's word says like there's, 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 he created them male and female, two genders. We, we bend to that. We believe that. If it talks about sexuality or about money, like if, if God has spoken, we bend to his word, not try to manipulate and bend his word towards us. Second Timothy three, Paul says this, all scripture, okay, all scripture is breathed out by God. That's a, that's That's saying what Hebrews 1 said, God spoke. All scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable for, and this is kind of where I get the idea of bending towards it, that the Bible is profitable for teaching. That means if we don't know something, the Bible teaches us and we bend what we understand towards it, towards reproof for correction. So if we have, and all of us somewhere have something wrong in how we what we believe or how we behave, and the Bible's there to correct us, to change us, to reproof us, to correct us, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Number five, since God spoke, we meditate on it. Okay, we meditate on it, and we've talked about this a lot over the years. This is a, a it's an important spiritual discipline to have enough time where you sit and not just think and not just even read or study, but you go a level deeper in thinking long-term about something and meditating on it. Uh, like our culture, the flow and the busyness of all our culture and all the devices are just at war with being able to meditate on something, right? How many of you meditate on something for 30 seconds and then you're already, like it's hard. That's why they call it a discipline. It's, it's hard. It's difficult. You read through Psalm 119, uh, the longest chapter in the Bible, and spoiler alert, it's all about just a love for God's word. But in it, he talks about med- I, on his word, I meditate day and night. We, we need to make sure that we have some spiritual discipline in our life to go beyond even thinking and studying to meditating on God's word. What does it mean down in the deepest place of our soul? That's hard. That's hard. You, can't, you don't do that without doing that on purpose in our culture. Number six, since God spoke, we memorize it. Okay, same thing in Psalm 119. It says, your word have I hidden my heart that I might not sin against you. He's saying, I took the word and I, I took it off the pages and I hid it in my heart. Some of you are like, I am so good at that. I hid it and I can't even find it, right? It's like, okay, we need, we need, the, we need the discipline of mem- memorizing God's word. I mean, it sure looks like Jesus did that. Okay, can I present this to you for consideration? If Jesus Christ needed to read and meditate and memorize the Bible, how much more do you think we should? To memorize it, put it in your heart. Number seven, since God spoke, we preach it. Okay, you might have noticed that we preach from the Bible. (laughs) I get somewhat 
excited and somewhat discouraged every time I hear people surprised by that. We have people uh, that come from other churches, either here or elsewhere, elsewhere, and uh, they they don't say, gosh, we're here because you're the greatest preacher, right? Um, They don't say we're here because you're the smartest person in the room. Uh, Oftentimes, what we've heard the last many years is we're here because you're preaching from the Bible, and I'm excited because that's what we're doing, and I'm somewhat disheartened because everybody's not doing that. A lot of people are just preaching uh, philosophy, they're preaching self-help, they're preaching ideas, they'll use a verse here and there, but they're not preaching the word. Paul told Timothy, preach, quote, preach the word. Why? Because God's word is what you need to hear. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering, he says. So just so you know, why we do what we do is we preach what we call expositorily, okay? Expository preaching, it's not suppository preaching, they're very different. Expository preaching, this is what it is, listen to this, and this is what it's not, okay? Expository preaching is opening up God's word and letting God, and exposing it and letting God's word speak, okay? Exposing God's word and letting the text do the talking. It's not the same thing as just going verse by verse through a book of the Bible, although we do that often, Okay, Uh, topical can be expository. Pick a topic, marriage, you open up, you let the Bible speak. That's what we're after, okay? We're after letting God's word speak because he is, he is, is smarter than we are. Um, that's, just, that's just what we do, whether it's a topic or walking through a book of the Bible. We're going to open up the Bible, expose it, let God's word speak. Because at the end of the day, what you need and what I need is not speculation about God, it's revelation from God. Do y'all see the difference? And this is every other religion, every other book is speculation. It's people with philosophy and looking at the problems of life and thinking, well, I, I would think, and rationally, I would guess that God is like this. We don't what, we don't need speculation. We don't need, we, God hasn't left us to speculate. What we need is revelation. Is God saying, listen, you don't have to guess what I'm like. Here, I wrote you a book. I sent the prophets. I sent Jesus. We don't work off of speculation. We work off of revelation. That's what the Bible is. It's God revealing himself to us. He's not hiding. He doesn't want us to wonder who he is. Okay, I want to I kind of uh, land the plane a little bit back in the New Testament. So let me go back to Hebrews 1, and I'll read this again, and then I'm going to be in John 5. If you want to turn there, you're welcome to. Hebrews 1, read it again, long ago at many, many, many times, 40 different authors, 1,600 years, in many, many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. And to us, that's the Old Testament, right? All all the prophecies leading up to Jesus. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So he wanted to reveal himself to mankind, spent centuries doing that by the Holy Spirit, giving truth to prophets. But then he decides, you know what? I'm going to wrap myself in flesh. I'm going to send my son down to speak for me once and for all. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Okay, so I want to let Jesus have have kind of the last word on the Bible, 
or God's word. We know a little bit about it. We know what we should do with it. But I want, I want Jesus to share with you what the one single main point of this book is. Y'all ready? John chapter 5, verse 38 and 39. I love this verse. Jesus is talking with um, some Pharisees that cognitively, like they knew the Old Testament better than you do, better than I do. They had memorized books of it, and they had basically treated God's word as two different things that were incorrect. Uh, one uh, was as an end in and of itself. They just like, okay, we memorized the Bible, we did it, right? That was one, uh, they, they treated it as an end, not a means to an end. Second thing is they were just looking through it for a list of rules to obey and commands to obey. Okay, Jesus steps in and he says this, talking to them. You do not have his word, that's God's word, abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You see, like that's a shadow of Hebrews 1, talking about the connection between the prophets and Jesus. Like you don't, you don't actually, like you memorized Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. You memorized those, but you don't have God's word in you because you've rejected the point of God's word. 39, highlight this. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. What is he saying? He's saying the entire book is about Jesus, right? The American way to read this is like, you know, this, this God wrote a, a book for me. Like, it's, it's, about, it's about me. It's a, a handbook to how to live my life and how to have my best life now. No, it's not. It's got some good stuff in there about living your best life, but the book is about Jesus from, start, from cover to cover, start to finish. The, the, the best-selling book in the history of mankind is not about me. It's about Jesus. And if you miss Jesus, you miss the point, you miss God's word. You search the, like, let this, let this sink in for a moment. You search the scriptures because in them you think that you have eternal life, but it is they that bear witness about me. Genesis tells the story of Jesus. He shows up in the beginning, creating the world. He shows up in chapter three as the promise that's gonna come as the seed of woman and fix everything. And all throughout the Old Testament, the Old Testament is pointing us to Jesus. The New Testament says he is here. As you read God's word, know the end of the day, God has given us his word so that we might know and love and worship Jesus. And if we miss that, we have missed absolutely everything. God, I have been convinced, you know, 20 years ago, I've got uh, negative five minutes here. About, about 20, 21 years ago when I really felt God calling me into ministry to do ministry, to, to preach, and I felt conflicted because I, I was at this kind of moment where I was questioning a lot of things about my faith and maybe some things that some of you are questioning. about. Like, if I'm going to build a whole life on this book, then I kind of I need to know that it's true and just jumped in headfirst to, to study a lot of these, both internal and external, and just have been absolutely committed, absolutely convinced that God wrote a book, and we have it, and it's about Jesus. 
That's foundational for us. That's part of Christianity 101 is we have a copy of God's word. It's true. It's accurate. It's authoritative. It shapes us. And at the end of the day, it's the story about the glory of Christ through his gospel. I invite you to bow your head, close your eyes, and let's pray that God's word, we just wouldn't understand it, but it would uh, really culminate in a, in a worship and a knowledge and a love for Jesus. God, we love you because you first loved us. I thank you for not leaving us to wonder and to wander and to think and to philosophize and to speculate about who you are and what you might be like, but you just simply decided to tell us. And I pray that the truth of your word would sink deep into our souls. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help confirm that in the hearts and minds of those people who are struggling this morning. God, would you convince them that you, in fact, have spoken to them? God, I pray that you would help us to fully rely upon your word, to trust it, to believe it, to obey it, to memorize it, to meditate on it. And I pray that it would be then a deep blessing in our hearts as it draws us to Christ. We love you. I pray that you would hide your word in our hearts that Jesus would just elevate as the object of our worship. God, I'm thankful for this church. I'm so thankful for the people that are here that love your word. I'm thankful for the people here that are questioning and asking uh, deep questions, that you would meet them right, God, right where they're at. pray that you would, in these next few moments, be honored by our worship as we stand and we sing and, and we give. I pray that you're honored and that we're blessed. We love you, Jesus, and I pray this in your name. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Church. If you want to connect with us at Redeemer, we would love for you to visit us at a service in person or visit us online at www.redeemermidland.org.